scripture passage for this morning is from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. The passage will be up on the screen. If you have a Bible, we would love it if you pull that out and follow along with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. If you are able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. First Corinthians chapter three, verse one. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I do want to begin by praying for Josh's dad, for resilience, especially spiritually. We thank you for his powerful testimony and the testimony of his mom who has been caring for him so well and so consistently, and for Josh who has also been part of walking with his dad and caring for him and encouraging his mom. And we do pray for uh, physical health as well. Lord, we are not owed anything in this life, but we know that we can pray to you and you care so deeply about our hurts, our concerns, our anxieties. And so we pray accordingly. And I pray for those who are here, as Josh mentioned, many people here in this church have lost family members, have lost parents in the past year. And so we pray for them. And we pray for comfort. We pray for those who are sick and injured, especially those dealing with chronic pain and illness like Josh's dad. Would you heal them and would you minister to them? We love you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Someone asked me to pick a life verse pertaining to my role as a Christian pastor, it would either be verse 7 in the passage we just read, or 1 Corinthians 10, 12, which we will get to in a few months. The life verse language isn't my favorite. It feels a bit sentimental and aged, you know, belonging perhaps to the mid-90s when we were all busy watching Touched by an Angel. If you haven't heard of it, a show in which people are touched by an angel. I don't know what to tell you. You can, you can Google it, although it's maybe a show best left alone at this point. <clears throat> but nonetheless, we will roll. We will roll with that life first language because verse 7 might be your life first too by the time we're done with things this morning. Absolutely, it is a verse for pastors, but it's a verse for everybody else as well. And it's really, really a verse 
for those of us who want to reclaim the heart of spiritual leadership and hopefully repair some of the broken trust that exists today in the church of Jesus Christ among spiritual leaders and their would-be followers. Trust broken in large part because too many leaders are trying to be God and too many followers functionally believe that their leaders are God. And it's really, really averse for those of us, pastors or not, who would like to proclaim Christ crucified with confidence while fending off pride and despair and burnout. I want you to know that I'm preaching this morning's passage in the context of some pretty significant pain and grieving related to a family that my wife and I love very, very much, not a family in this church, but a family outside of the life of our church, a family that has recently been wounded but what I, by what I would call a major spiritual leadership failure. So if you detect some extra urgency and some passion in my tone this morning, that is probably why all of this feels particularly personal right now. Two questions this morning concerning the nature of spiritual leadership. Number one, what are spiritual leaders for? And then number two, what should spiritual leaders do? What are they for and what should they do? We'll start with that first question. What, what are spiritual leaders for? The Apostle Paul begins this segment of the letter with an admonishment, even a rebuke, which as you'll see in a moment, helps us understand the true goal of spiritual leadership. Look at verses 1 through 4. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? This is really important. Back in chapter 2, Paul made a contrast between spiritual people and natural people. In other words, between believers and unbelievers. But now, here in chapter 3, he refers to spiritual people once again. But this time, not in contrast to unbelievers, but rather to immature believers, which he variously calls people of the flesh, and infants in Christ, verse 1. They are believers, at least apparently so, but they are not where they should be spiritually, at least in Paul's estimation, probably two or three years after their conversion. Case in point, they are factious and quarreling and jealous of one another, creating all sorts of strife in their spiritual community, verse 3. Paul already introduced the nature of their quarreling back in chapter 1, verses 10 through 17, but we get, musically speaking, a, a reprise of sorts here in verse 4. Do you see this? One says, I follow Paul, and another person says, I follow Apollos. Corinthian believers were aligned 
with particular leaders rather than one another in and under Christ. And the factions were more relational than theological, possibly related to whom was baptized by whom, and therefore whom helped whom become a follower of Jesus. And in doing so, these Corinthians were not acting like mature believers, but frankly, more like unbelievers, living in a merely human way, indicative of the natural person that Paul talked about at the end of chapter 2. Natural, unbelieving people in that day were rallying around impressive people, commonly the smooth and the charismatic rhetoricians, the, the gurus of metropolitan Corinth. And to the degree that Corinthian believers were aligning themselves with spiritual leaders. They were patterning their lives, not according to Christ, but according to the ways of the world. City Church, spiritual immaturity manifests itself primarily in uncritical receptivity to cultural norms, typically followed by imitation, including imitation of norms that have nothing to do with or are even opposed to Christ. Notice that for the, the converts in Corinth, becoming a Christian didn't simply mean, okay, now we're just, we had gurus, so now we'll just have Christian gurus. That's what we're going to do now that we're Christians. It, meant, it didn't mean that. It meant having no gurus, right? Especially in a, a tribalistic celebrity sense, because now you belong to Christ, not gurus. I'm concerned today that in the West, we would say something to the Corinthians like, well, to be relevant, you need to keep having gurus. Other people otherwise won't take you seriously and you won't reach anybody. You've got you to gotta get with the times. If that is what we mean these days by relevance, Paul would have punted that idea into the heavens. Speaking of punting things into the heavens. Church, do you feel the ache in these verses? Do you feel the pastoral exasperation? Do you feel the anguish? A group of people that Paul invested in spiritually when he started the Corinthian church and desperately loves, we call the familial language throughout this passage. A whole lot of them aren't really growing. Paul would like to be feeding them some solid food, verse 2, like some spiritual T-bone steaks right off the grill, or some really well-seasoned tofu or whatever they make those plant burgers with. I'm trying to be aware of my context here. That's what he would like to be doing, but unfortunately, he's still feeding them milk because they're not ready for anything else. All of which is breaking his heart because he's a true yet imperfect spiritual leader following after Christ. And the whole point of such spiritual leadership is to bring Jesus 
to natural, unbelieving people, and then to help infant Jesus followers become mature Jesus followers. And a really fancy way of saying this is that spiritual leaders exist to make disciples. Thus, Jesus' instructions to his own disciples in Matthew chapter 28 to go and make more of them. Notice, and this is really important, that Paul is not upset that his mic stopped working mid-sermon or that the attendance of the adult Bible study wasn't you know, up to par or that he isn't getting the invites he was anticipating to speak at important conferences. He is upset because the people he loves aren't really treasuring the Jesus that he loves. Anguish reveals the heart of a true leader especially the direction of their anguish. True spiritual leaders ache for other people. Frauds ache for themselves, constantly self-focused and self-pity. And in doing so, especially when you're a self-pityer, one of the presenting sins, I think, of spiritual leadership, you end up leading people to yourself instead of leading people to Jesus. You may have heard it said that Paris is for lovers. So is the state of Virginia, at least according to their license plates, possibly indicating a bit of insecurity in my opinion. <laughs> but turns out that spiritual leadership is for lovers too. Lovers of God and lovers of people. Lovers who then sacrificially pour out their lives to connect those dots, pointing the people that they love to the God that they love even more, that the people they love might become mature disciples. Lovers who are willing to challenge and even to call out the people they love like Paul does here in verses 1 through 4 because their aim is to please the Lord not people trusting that pleasing the Lord is the best way to care for the people that they love. And you know, and this is more of an aside, but I do wonder if some of us may well need to be called out this morning. Called out not in the sense of, you know, finger wagging or, or disparagement, which by the way has no place here at City Church but called out in a way that a loving father, you might say, shepherds his wayward children with tears in his eyes. Perhaps we've moved on from the gospel and lost our first love, Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, our love for Jesus and therefore our love for one another, which always go hand in hand. Perhaps our Gazes are fixed upon someone or something other than Jesus. Drinking milk when by now we should be eating steak because jealousy and pride and self-interest have completely stunted our spiritual development. And what was true in Corinth is still true today. And this is uncomfortable given our age. Quarreling and factionalism are preeminent signs that our first love has, in fact, been lost. That Jesus and this true wisdom of Christ crucified is way down here somewhere near the ground, 
and otherworldly concerns are way up here. Perhaps some of us need to be called out this morning for raising up or following spiritual leaders who entertain us instead of shepherding us. Leaders who are often more fascinated by the state of their YouTube channels or their podcast subscriptions and by the state of your soul. These are really strange days. You're aware of this. I know these are strange days in which many of us are spiritually led far more significantly by people we listen to on the internet than by pastors or ministry leaders in our own local churches, just by volume. If that's the case, let me ask a question. Do those leaders out there on the interwebs, do they push you? Do they challenge you? Do they remind you of your first love, even if it doesn't suit the best interests of their channel? Or are they mainly feeding you affirmation and feeding you kind of light humor and personal anecdotes in a way that boosts their profile and convinces you to like and subscribe? Before we move on, uh, I want to give a word of encouragement. From what I can tell, I thought about this a lot this week as I was preparing this message. We have many leaders, elders, deacons, staff, community group leaders, journey group leaders, ministry team leaders. We have many, many leaders here at City Church who sacrificially pour out their lives for the sake of pointing the people they love to the God they love even more. Leaders who are willing to challenge and even to call out the people they love because their aim is to please the Lord, not people. I just want you to know, leaders here in the life of our church, I am so encouraged by what I am seeing. I am profoundly encouraged by what I am seeing. I'm so thankful for you, and I love you. And God loves you even more. And your labor is not in vain, so keep going. Keep going doing what, though? Now that we know what spiritual leaders are for, what should they be up to? What are their rhythms? And very importantly, are there things that they should not be up to? That brings us to our second question. What should spiritual leaders do? Look at verses 5 through 9. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. That's really for next week's passage, that last bit in verse 9. Spiritual leaders are servants. You see this? They're servants. So what do they do? They serve sacrificially that those underneath their care might believe in Christ Jesus. Christ crucified and raised. 
And this is why we talk about eldership here at City Church as a come-and-die calling modeled after Christ himself, who, Philippians chapter 2, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The shape of eldership and other forms of spiritual leadership is cruciform. We are dying to ourselves so that other people might have life in Jesus' name. Thus, Paul's assertion to his mentee, Timothy, at the beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 3, that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which is another name really for the office of elder, he desires a noble task. And this noble task business wouldn't make any sense if eldership was about gaining some kind of elite spiritual status and then throwing your weight around. It wouldn't make any sense if eldership was mainly about power and control, you know, being the big boss, something like the villain in movies that have an axe to grind against Christianity. And it wouldn't make any sense because there's not a single thing noble about any of that. And by the way, none of that has anything to do with true spiritual oversight. The noble task language that Paul uses only makes sense if spiritual leadership is sacrificial, come and die service for the benefit of others, which, as it turns out, is precisely what it is. It's noble because it's really costly, albeit beautiful in so many ways as well. Whenever anybody comes to me and says, hey, I want to be an, an elder, I want to be a spiritual leader, are, are you sure? Do you understand what you're signing up for? It's really hard. It's really costly. Which is why at all times, the church of Jesus Christ needs less leaders and more leaders. It needs less leaders who treat spiritual leadership like they're on the board of Coca-Cola, sitting around a mahogany table eating fancy snacks and making big important decisions, and it needs more leaders who take after Paul and even Jesus, pouring themselves out for others at very great cost to themselves. And how do these leaders serve? Verse 6, like Paul and Apollos, planting and watering. In their case, it was specifically Paul who helped plant the church in Corinth. He helped start it. And then Apollos came around and continued the gardening process himself by ministering to these new believers, greatly helping those who through grace have believed. See Acts chapter 18. Different spiritual leaders will have different spiritual gifts and different purposes. But they'll all be there in the garden together, working, moving some dirt around, planting seeds. 
bringing that hose around. Gently, though, please, lest you water, like some people I know who are all less than five feet tall, who water the darn plants like they're skeet shooting, except the skeet are sitting there on the ground and they look a whole lot like plants. My son will come around, like, I'm, I'm going to go water the plants. I can see him, like, turning the sprayer to jet and then just getting right up there to the plant, like, hey. <clears throat> Spiritual leaders, please remember that we are shepherding, not skeet shooting. A certain amount of gentleness is required here, even when we're saying difficult things. But at the end of the day, verse 7, this is my life verse, remember. Spiritual leaders, even including guys with, with some fairly big spiritual heritage status like Paul and Apollos, they aren't much of anything at all. Because it's God who gives the growth. Conversion is miraculous. I think most of us think that way. Yes, conversion is miraculous, but hey, so is spiritual growth all of which is fully authored by God. Well-crafted sermons do not give the growth. Excellent music does not give the growth. Small groups do not give the growth. A really intentional ministry to the marginalized does not give the growth. A really slick ministry strategy developed by highly skilled ministry consultants does not give the growth. God gives the growth, and He's the only one who can. Certainly the work of spiritual leaders it matters. See, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It does matter. Please know that. But considering what the Lord does, even the most impressive spiritual leaders can nonetheless consume a huge slice of humble pie. And because these leaders aren't much at all, they are one, verse 8. They are together, they are equal in stature, no one being more or less valuable than anyone else, certainly not worth wrapping our identities around and factionalizing according. How would we do that when it's God who gives the growth? Let's rally around Him. And this is where I warned you I would get a little bit passionate. Please, please, please. If deep down in your heart you know that you're not all that interested in the pie, please stay away from God's people. To the degree that you think you are something, that you might even be responsible for growth, because you know you have advanced degrees and you're a very polished communicator and you have a way with people and you're very successful in life, to the degree that you think you are something, the people entrusted to your care will get hurt. Because it turns out that we are horrendous substitutes for God. And here's the other problem. To the, degree, to the degree that you think you are something, you'll actually get hurt too. At the very least, by completely wearing yourself out. Five years ago, Kristen and I, my wife Kristen and I, walked into a hotel ballroom with the kind of ambience that says, hey, welcome to Red Lobster. You know what I'm talking about. That kind of ballroom. 
this ballroom was hosting a retreat for pastors that technically we were not invited to. It was not in our same pastoral network, but we were in the area, and my brother was playing on the worship team, so we went anyway to one of the evening sessions, because why not? YOLO. Ray Orland, Ortland, excuse me, was preaching that evening, and he was preaching on watchful prayer from Colossians chapter 4, and along the way, he referenced a sermon from Francis Schaeffer, Schaeffer references on consecutive Sundays, look at that, he referenced a Francis Schaeffer sermon called The Lord's Work and the Lord's Way, and in that sermon, Schaeffer says this, the central problem in our age is not liberalism or modernism or the threat of communism or even the threat of rationalism. You can kind of tell when he was writing. The real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually or corporately, tending to do the Lord's work and the power of the flesh rather than of the Spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not in the circumstances surrounding them. I heard that. And immediately I started having some allergy issues, if you know what I mean, because Red Lobster will do that to you. It's very dusty. Because I realized that far too often I was doing what might perhaps be called the Lord's work, not His way, but my way and my own power. that far too often I was forgetting that it's, that it's God who gives the growth, not my work ethic. And it was completely wearing me out, and I was exhausted. Obviously, there are implications here for spiritual leaders. But honestly, there are implications here for all of us because, as I see it, You've heard there's two kinds of people in the world. I actually think there's four kinds of people in the world. Number one, there are people completely out of the disciple-making game because we actually don't believe that God is up to much of anything. We're discouraged, and we're not totally convinced that he gives a growth. We're just not convinced he's doing anything. We've been at it. We haven't seen anything. We're really discouraged. Number two, there are people who are in the game in a sense, but they're overconfident, and they're totally self-assured, hurting people left and right because they kind of think that they give the growth. And they think of their ministry as kind of a personal ministry that belongs to them, and you can find out more about it by going to bobsmith.com, and if you want to book some speaking opportunities, you can do so, and their bio will tell you that they're a very sought-after you know, international national speaker. Is that always wrong? No. But it really does make me nervous. Number three, there are people who are in the game. They're making disciples. But even though they might not be arrogant and self-assured, they have bought wholesale into achievement culture. And they think they're at fault if the ministry they're a part of isn't thriving. Or they think they're dropping the ball if wholesale revival isn't breaking out at their workplace because they're forgetting that it's God who gives the growth and accordingly they are exhausted and they're frustrated because like me they were doing maybe the Lord's work but in their own way not in his power 
And this is the category I am most concerned about for our city, that I am most concerned about for City Church. Because we live in an achievement mecca. We live in a city where literally we go about extending ourselves to succeed and to take the next step. And there's some good in that. It's not all bad. But along the way, we are wired to believe that all outcomes are a product of our energy and effort. All of them. And then we take that and we transfer it right into our spiritual lives. Leaders are not. And then we totally wear ourselves out. And you know, the Lord, if that describes you, the Lord would love to bring you into category number four. People who are in the game, they're making disciples, they're working hard unto the Lord, they're pouring out their lives like a drink offering, Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. But at the same time, they know and they truly believe that it's God who gives the growth. And then they rest in Jesus accordingly. And they go to sleep at night and sleep like babies because they know that God is awake. People who know and really believe that as the farming adage goes, you can bring a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. that we can and should point people to Jesus. But the outcomes are in the Lord's hands. And isn't that what we want? Can you imagine the outcomes being in your hands? Can you imagine the stress and the anxiety of trying to force a horse's head into the water all the time and just being miserable? But some of us are trying to do exactly that because we've bought into this achievement culture and we've transferred into our spiritual lives. And the Lord would love to release you from that this morning. The Lord would love to equip you for ministry, vocationally or not. And it is difficult, but release you from the burden of thinking that you have to do the Lord's work in your own power and that the outcomes are up to you. Imagine the joy if you could just work hard unto the Lord and leave the rest to God. That would change a lot of your lives. How do you do that? I'll just end with this one thing. A lot of it has to do with remembering and I would say, remember the way in which you were saved. How were you saved, children of God? Were you saved because you put a lot of effort into it? Or because you earned it? No. You were saved miraculously by grace through faith. I think a lot of us know that intellectually, but then we move on from it. And we live the rest of our lives sort of gracelessly trying to do the Lord's work in our own power. Remember the nature of your salvation this morning. That you are saved by grace through faith. Remember Jesus' words to his own disciples that he would love to give them rest for their souls. So that in being filled to the brim by Jesus, you can go out into the world and pour yourself out sacrificially, working really hard unto the Lord, but at the same time joyfully, not worried about the outcomes, and doing all of this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.